Kirk, come on up. Let's give him, let's give him a nice greeting. Thanks, Steve. All right, thank you very much, Steve. Yes, Steve and I have known each other quite a while. In fact, I think we were quite, quite young when we met. We actually had hair, and it was all of the single color. Um, well, I can tell you all kinds of stories about Steve, but I won't. Uh, but you can talk to me later if you want. Uh, it's wonderful and always encouraging to see a, uh, a brother in the faith who ha and his wife who have been faithfully following God all these years. The reality is ministry is not easy. If anyone could do it, there'd be more people doing it. But the reality is, is unfortunately, many people who desire to go in and make a difference for God because of issues usually related to people, they have a hard time being able to survive the business of ministry. It's not a business. It's a calling. But it's a tough calling. And, uh, and uh, so it's just, it's very encouraging, again, to be able to be here, have a chance to, uh, to share with you all, and hopefully to be an encouragement for you and for your community's leadership uh, uh, this morning. Um, I don't know if you guys uh, were aware of it, we had an election a, uh, a few weeks ago. Anybody remember that election? Uh, I noticed in that election that, uh, that Arizona seemed to be very red. <laughs> But I imagine even in the state of Arizona, there was some blue. Now, I'm not going to take a vote as to who was blue and who was red, okay? But uh, the reality is, is that uh, some people, maybe even in this community, have a perspective that is a little different from others in this community. Uh, you know, people are opinionated. I don't know about you, but I'm opinionated. My opinions are all right. Opinion is something that we have, you know, and, and that's just normal. It's actually healthy for people to have opinions. Within a community of faith, though, sometimes opinions can, can kind of go from being something we discuss to uh, really the, uh, the nexus for major conflict. Sometimes conflict within community doesn't come from within, but is sparked from outside, though. I mean, again, uh, some of the issues in our nation today are very, very difficult. And people could decide to take sides on things that are not clearly defined in the biblical text, but they become something that we get excited about and we get exercised in because they are national issues. You know, many years ago, during the Second World War, uh, the believing community in Germany had, uh, had some choices to make. You either lined up with the German government, which by the time we're talking about here had become the Nazi party, okay, or you completely stayed away from them, rejected their oversight and their influence, and suffered the consequences. I want to read briefly uh, a story of, uh, that, has, that really involves this uh, between uh, the, uh, the Brethren community, which are... Uh, uh, evangelical Christians in Germany during the Second World War. Uh, during World War II, Hitler commanded all religious groups to unite so that he could more easily control them. Among the brethren assemblies, half complied and half refused. Those who went along with the order had a much easier time. Those who did not faced harsh persecution. In almost every family of those who resisted, someone died in a concentration camp. When the war was over, feelings of bitterness ran deep between the groups. 
and there was much tension. Finally, they decided that the situation had to be healed. Leaders from each group met at a quiet retreat. For several days, each person spent time in prayer, examining his own heart in the light of Messiah's commands. Then they came together. Francis Schaeffer, a leading Christian theologian who told of the incident, asked a friend who was there, what did you do then? We were just one, he replied. As they confessed their hostility and bitterness to God and yielded to his control, the Holy Spirit created a spirit of unity among them. Love filled their hearts and dissolved their hatred. When love prevails among believers, especially in times of strong disagreement, it presents to the world an indisputable mark of a true follower of Messiah Yeshua. When love prevails among believers, when love prevails. This morning, what I'd like us to talk about is what does it mean to live out love within the believing community? There is too much division within the believing community on things that don't matter. You know, in my congregation, in our building, we're going to have to replace the carpet. You would be surprised at the times I've heard in congregations in my different travels where people split over the color of carpeting or the color of paint or some other silly, ridiculous, innocuous, useless thing. People divide. The scriptures challenge us to love, to be united. And so what does it mean to live out love within the believing community? And what does it mean, therefore, for us to demonstrate our love, to actually live out our love? Because it truly is the thing that validates our relationship with God, and it validates the confession of our faith. Uh, we're going to start this morning in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, and then I'm going to take a little bit of time to move around a little bit in the text. But we're going to start with that, uh, that section, Hebrews 13, 1 through 3. In my uh, particular role in uh, the union of Messianic Jewish congregations, I take very seriously my responsibility to encourage unity, unity. And, uh, and there's a, a few techniques that I've learned through the years which hopefully will help. But often, even in our congregation, our Messianic Jewish world, I suppose which could parallel other small groupings as well, but there's things that focus our attention, often we can focus our attention on the, on the small things that we differ on rather than on the big things that should unite us, like our common faith in, in Jesus, okay? And the gospel message of how we come into right relationship with God. Here we see James chapter, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Let me read all three verses for you this morning. It says, let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. The very first verse says, let love of the brethren continue. Now, that doesn't just mean love the guys, okay? Just clarifying. It means love those who are fellow believers in the gospel, those who are fellow believers in Messiah Yeshua, and let your love continue. The first question I have to ask this morning is, what is brotherly love? 
what is brotherly love? Uh, Craig Lane, in in, uh, his commentary on Hebrews, stated that the quality of love, or the quality of love that binds the community together as brothers and sisters within the family of faith, is brotherly love. It's the quality of love. You're here this morning. You come in to worship the Lord your God within this community. What is the quality of your love for one another? How well do you know one another? How much do you care about one another? How much do you care about people in, in, in general? You know, uh, my grandfather was a psychiatrist in San Francisco. He actually, uh, in his time, was fairly well-known and very influential. He actually was Charles Schultz's psychiatrist. And so I grew up with a lot of Snoopy in my life. And many of those close friends in my life uh, kind of referred to me as Charlie Brown for all kinds of reasons. But uh, I'll never forget the one uh, um, Snoopy uh, short I believe, again, it was Charlie Brown, and he basically says, I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. Many of us go through life like that. We don't really like people. People annoy us. People bother us. They slow us down on our expectations for life. They get in the way. If people would just get out of my way, I could get a lot done for people. In ministry, a lot of people in ministry forget that ministry is all about people. Certainly, a congregation is all about people. What is the quality of your love for the people in this room this morning? Do you go out of your way to get to know people in this community? If you know that there are needs and hurts in this community, are you involved in the lives of individuals and in truly understanding to minister into their lives? What is the quality of your love for one another? That really is brotherly love. And as it says in in Hebrews 13, it's something that should be ongoing. I would almost say developmental, meaning it just continues to grow and grow in quality. It's not static. I want to uh, also ask the question, how does one live out brotherly love? How do we really do it, especially in a society like ours where there's so many pressures, so much going on? Uh, First of all, I want to uh, take us back to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, and uh, point out what we see early on in the believing community. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, 42 through the end of the chapter there. What does it mean to live out brotherly love? First of all, it means to have a genuine concern for the welfare of fellow believers. A genuine concern for the welfare of fellow believers. Here in Acts chapter 2, we read about the genuine concern for the physical and spiritual needs of this community. Take a look at the text. It says they were continually, and this is the believers now, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. And all those who had uh, believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with all as anyone might have need, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
know, one of the things I do in my work, in our, I say my, I don't get a chance to travel that often with my wife. So if I'm speaking in the singular, it really means we, okay? Uh, but, but in our work, we, thank God we see people come to believe in Jesus. And they come from a variety of situations. Many years ago, there was a girl who was some Jewish girl, you know, kind of messed up. And we invited her into our home to live with us for a period of time. Uh, I wished I could stand here and uh, tell you that she, she's a strong believer, doing well. Absolutely the opposite. She rejected the faith and was with us for, I don't know, maybe a month or two or three. And, and just her life is, is just a mess. Another young man who, uh, not Jewish young man, but a man that we came to know through our youth programming, uh, when he was in his... Some, a couple of times, I think, in his high school years, his mother was an alcoholic, and he ended up living with us for periods of time and then living with some other people. And this young man is doing well. He, he's seeking the Lord and doing a tremendous job. And, then, uh, and through the years, we've had people that have inconvenienced us. They've eaten our food. They've messed up our house. But we've opened our home because we wanted to see them come to understand who Yeshua is. And if they are believers in Yeshua, to grow in their relationship with the God of Israel. We've wanted to make an impact. And so it, it requires sacrifice. Here in the book of Acts, the first several, six chapters in the book of Acts, you've got all these people coming to faith. How inconvenient. All right, here, Shmuley. I'll give you a couple of Jewish names. Here, Shmuley, Yankel, and Oded over there are going to, they just became believers in Jesus. You're going to need to share your eight, by, your eight by six room with them for the next three months because they're brand new believers from Rome and they've got nowhere to live and they want to stay in Jerusalem and learn about what it means to believe in Jesus. And Shmuley's like, okay. I'll tell you what, you guys can sleep on my bed, I'll curl up in a corner, and I'll share the meager amounts of food that I have, and together we're going to grow in our relationship with God. Because I've been a believer in Yeshua for about six months, and you know, he died about two months ago, and then he rose from the dead, and it's wonderful and exciting all that's going on. Do you imagine, put yourself back into Acts chapter 2. You're one of the 120 who come to believe and then 5,000 people believe, and 3,000 people believe, and they're all living with you. What does it mean to live out brotherly love? It means self-sacrifice. It means concern for the welfare of others, both spiritually and physically. You may have a four-bedroom house for you, your wife, and your three dogs. And you, you like it that way. Consider whether God would have you fill your home with those in need. I'm just tossing it out there. But that's probably what's going on in Acts chapter 2, if you've never thought about it. And it continues on all the way up through Acts chapter 6. Genuine concern for the welfare of fellow believers. That's what it means to live out brotherly love. The other thing that uh, we have to keep in mind <clears throat> is that not only is it concern, but part of this must be the development of patience and understanding within relationships among believers. You know, what is the level of your patience with your fellow man? I mean, again, Shmuley here has just had these two guys move in with him in Acts chapter 2, 
And they don't, they, they don't know each other. This is, this is almost like going to uh, Arizona State University and you're meeting your roommates for the first time and they're from a different planet. What an opportunity to practice patience, love, understanding. But that's what we have to practice within community. People come to faith in Jesus from all kinds of backgrounds. I took this poll the other day in, 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 in a class I was teaching. How many of you are native-born Tucson, Arizona people? Raise your hand. Okay, very few of you. How many of you were born outside the United States? Okay, all right, several of you. So the rest of you are foreigners. <laughs> I'm not going to count the real people born outside the United States, okay? So think about that. If you're a native-born Arizona person... I can think about this because I'm a native-born Californian with all the water in the north of California. You know, you, you could say to people, in essence, you know, you have to do things my way because I was here before you. But we can't do that. We have to basically be magnanimous. We have to be, be uh, inviting people in and, and trying to understand where they're at. So when Shmuley's got these guys coming to live with him in Acts chapter 2... He's going to have to figure out where, what is the background of these guys? You know, how can I best minister to them? What are areas potentially of confusion? You know, we had a fellow come to uh, faith in Yeshua, uh, and uh, he came from a traditional Jewish home, all right? So you can almost read Orthodox, okay? His father's Israeli. And in his teen years, after his bar mitzvah, he became a Rastafarian, a Rastafarian is, you know, that kind of that Jamaican thing with the long dreadlocks, and they have a reputation for smoking an awful lot of cannabis, also known as marijuana, okay? And the man became a believer, you know, and we saw this progressive development in his life where he, he cut the dreads, and he, he's... Stop smoking the pot and all these different things. And it's a long process. process began before he even came to us, but we saw this dramatic change in him and, and when he started coming uh, to us. And now it's been several months now of real change. And one of the things that he came to me and asked me about is, is after I preached this message to him several months ago, I preached this at the congregation, is the issue of understanding. He, he, he's, he, is, he understands life as a 25-year-old from his perspective. And he basically came up to me and he said, you know, I, I wanna, I'm hoping that you can understand where I'm coming from as I come into this community because there are certain understandings I have that, that in essence might, might, problem, might be a problem for people. I'll give you a couple that you could probably chuckle about. One, he's very green. Have you met some of these young people who want to recycle everything? He's very green. That's not a bad thing at all. All right? But, but I come from a generation where it's basically, it's like, you know, I'll recycle if it's convenient. Otherwise, there's a garbage can right there. Okay? You know? And so there, and it's a bunch of young people now, under, I think a lot under his influence, want to try and increase recycling in the congregation. The other is, is on a political scale, on a political scale, he's very socially conscious. Conscious. So that means when it comes to politics, many of us, like myself, I tend to think moral issues, i.e. abortion, homosexuality, and economics. 
all right? He's beginning to understand moral issues, I mean, because he's a new believer, but he also is very concerned about caring for the poor, which means you can have different conversations on some political issues. And he was afraid that we would reject him because of some of these values. And we had a great conversation. I said, listen, listen, I want to know who you are so I can best encourage you to grow in your relationship with God. And if there are certain thoughts and approaches and values that you have developed and that you have that are consistent with biblical values, of course I'm going to be an encourager for you in this, and you can encourage us in this. But it requires understanding. Requires, requires listening, patience, love. What is the quality of our love for one another? How do we live out brotherly love within the community? The other thing that's so critically important is the issue of, of conflict in a community. All right? Let me, let me read one passage here. Uh, Matthew chapter 5. Take a look at Matthew chapter 5. There's a lot of texts that we could go back and forth to, but I'm not going to do it this morning. Instead, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Every once in a while I find that people don't like conflict. They would much rather deal with an ongoing problem than just bring an issue to the forefront, deal with it constructively, and move on. A lot of people would just sweep stuff under the rug. Remember the old cartoons or the stooges or something where they're, they're cleaning around and they've got something left over and they just sweep it under the rug and ignore it like it doesn't exist while it's just sitting right there in the middle of the room. We have to know how, we have to, as follow, if we really believe in, in what it means to live in brotherly love with one another, we have to learn how to both convey and accept words of correction. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 These are the words of our Messiah. It says, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Very interesting. Here it's not speaking of him being in conflict, but somebody else being in conflict with him. How many of you know people that can't stand you? All right. It's true. If you're in ministry long enough, there are a lot of people that are, that are at odds with me. It's reality. I'm sure that, unfortunately, for your pastor as well, there are people that are at odds. They disagree. Or she's, and a lot of it, really, in my situation, I'm sure for his too, is we've had to confront people on areas of sin, and they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. Yet even so, What really is the emphasis of what the Messiah is saying here is that we, before we can uh, really go and be in full relationship, I I think that's kind of the picture here. We we go and we offer our praise before God and we offer the, the sacrifice in the temple, as it's talking about. We need to make sure that we are doing all we can to live in proper relationship with people. That means that there are times when I have had, I've offended people. We have a little thing when we bring members into the congregation back in Chicago. I always say to people, you know, if I haven't offended you yet, at some point I will. And I, <laughs> I want you to please remember to talk to me if I do. And I've had to go to people and, and I've had to apologize just because I've said something out of line or I've been a little brusque. This is the reality of relationship. 
but that I also want people to understand that if I see sin in their lives or if I see them doing things, that I'm going to do the same thing because it's important in relationship and it's important if we truly love one another to, to be honest with one another. You know, I've got two kids. Actually, my, my wife had this great thing. You know, uh, every once in a while before we go someplace, you know, uh, she says, you know, or I'll say to her, you know, okay, how do I look? Don't you love that one, guys? Your wife says, how do I look? And the question is, so what do I say? <laughs> you look fine. Okay, that's nothing. It means nothing. Worthless. You know, is it good? Why is it good? You know, how do I match? And I barely... I'm almost, I'm not colorblind, but I am style blind. But if we're in relationship with one another, I need to be concerned with how she looks because she wants me to give her an honest answer. If we're in relationship with each other within community and we truly love one another, then we need to be sharing words that convey help for the other person. I've talked to people in my congregation about their language. I've talked to people in my congregation about their use of time. I've challenged people in my congregation in regards to the way they're raising their kids. Why? Because I like being a nudge? No, that means being a pain? No. It's because I love them and I want to see them progress and develop in their relationship with God. But this is the question I have for you. How do you handle words conveyed for your encouragement? Do you hate it when people come up and they point out, hey, brother, I just, I just need to share this with you, you know, that, that I see this going on in your life. I encourage you to think about maybe making some adjustment. Do you handle that well? How is it this on the other side, though? How about you? When you see a brother in sin... Do you take out the baseball bat and beat on them? Or do you go in before them in humility and point out their sin? I mean, I've seen people have had to confront people on serious areas of sin. Sometimes I haven't done the best job at it. Generally, I think I've done a pretty good job at it. Every time, it's extremely difficult. And the more I can do it in humility and in love, genuine love, genuine concern, genuinely trying to be redemptive, not be abusive, that there is benefit. But it's hard. The other way of looking at it, again, one more way of looking at it, if you're here this morning and you're in sin, if somebody in this community were to come and confront you, how would you respond? This one fellow who, who has come to the congregation from this background wants people to hold him accountable because he's got addictions that he wants to break. And it's our, this is what's amazing, it's now our responsibility, my responsibility and others within my community to hold him accountable. We must be actively involved in his life. And if we're not, it means we're not demonstrating love. That's strange. He's inviting us to love him by being absolutely involved in his life, holding him accountable to some very, very personal things so that he might grow as a follower of the Messiah. Do you have that kind of a relationship with anyone in this community or even outside this community? Are you able to convey words of, of rebuke or correction or encouragement 
Are you able, willing to do that? Are you willing to accept it as well? Later on, we see in, the, uh, in this section, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, talks about hospitality, talks about caring for those in prison. You know, hospitality is an example of what it means to live out brotherly love. It's a dying art in America. <laughs> it's dying in America, hospitality, opening one's home. But I want to challenge you this morning. If you're thinking about what you can do to demonstrate brotherly love is if you are able. And again, if you're, if you're married, this is not something you can do unilaterally. All right. But if you and your spouse, if you're married or if you alone with your roommates or whatever, want to try and develop an approach of, of brotherly love where you open your home is just invite people over. I think that there is something really powerful when as believers we open our homes and we invite people in. We do this when we're reaching out to people all the time, but it's also extremely powerful within the community because when you let people into your home, you let them into your life in a way that you can't do down at the local restaurant or at the Starbucks or whatever. Consider it. Consider it as an approach. Hospitality is something that is, that is stressed within the biblical text, and it's encouraged here. And, uh, of course, it's interesting here, uh, they, they talk about the hospitality as something uh, that even some have entertained angels without knowing it. There's an ancient document called the Didache, and the Didache talks about how to handle itinerant uh, speakers. And uh, it almost makes you think in Hebrews chapter 13 that he's referencing something later on that's referenced later on with the Didache. But the idea that you have these, these believers who travel around and they're teaching and they're, they're preaching or they're doing whatever. And, and in the process of showing hospitality to these kind of people, that angels have been entertained. You know, I don't want to make more of it than I can talk to your pastor about it. But I mean, I think... It's, it's, uh, it's just wonderful, the stress on caring for the needs of people that you don't even necessarily know that well from within the believing community. The other has to do here with practicing loving compassion for people that you may not know at all, but how often do you pray for those people suffering for their faith in China, in Iran? If you're not aware of it, Iran, it's, it's tremendous revival. I'm not saying that millions are coming to faith in Yeshua, but there are many people coming to faith in Iran from Muslim backgrounds who are suffering. Pakistan. Do you pray for those in prison who are fellow believers in Yeshua? Do you even think about them? You can practice brotherly love by simply praying. If you have an opportunity, helping in some way, although be honest with you, money is not the issue there at all. There's really almost nothing we can do physically, but there is tremendous amounts of things we can do spiritually through prayer. Do you pray for the needs of people suffering for the faith? We need to be thinking about this. Demonstrating our love for fellow believers validates the confession of our faith. That's the point of the text. That's really a summation of so much of New Testament teaching. What is the quality of your brotherly love? Starting within this community. What does it look like? How are you living it out? How are you exercising it? I encourage you, specifically this morning, if you have unresolved conflicts with anyone in this room, before you leave, to begin the process of change today.
Talk to that, to that individual. It may be uh, an old friend that you don't talk to anymore. It could be a parent, could be a kid. But think about now who it is that you really have a blocking relationship with and determine this morning to let the love of God change the quality of your love so that you might bring restoration in that relationship. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word and the challenge of it. God, I thank you for uh, the fact that your love has made possible for us to be in relationship with you. And that truly, God, through the shed blood of our Messiah, Yeshua, our, our, our sins are forgiven and, and relationship is made possible. God, I pray that we would also live in open relationship, God, in genuine, loving relationship with those around us who's, who also profess faith in Yeshua. God, keep us from being petty. Keep us from holding grudges. Keep us from being angry about things that don't matter. Help us instead, God, to humble ourselves and to love one another deeply, genuinely, authentically. God, again, we thank you for your love, and I thank you for this community, their commitment to you in the gospel and how they desire to live it out each and every day. Expand their borders, God, to tremendous work in them for your kingdom in this community. I pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen.